Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today with Robert Wood, who is the CISO for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service uh, with the Health and Human Services. Robert, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, we love, we have to say something about the background. You have an authentic Batman costume. Did you wear that for Halloween? Not this past Halloween. I, I, uh, I pulled out my my inner Jim Gordon and I, uh, my, my little man who's four really wanted to be a uh, police officer. Uh-huh. So we got him, uh, got him a, a uniform, put a banana in the holster, whole nine yards. And, uh, uh, and I was rocking, uh, my deputy is actually a former Philly cop. So he lent me a bunch of, uh, lent me a bunch of like, you know, police garb and the, the jacket and everything. So we're, we're rocking that. And then our, our, my wife and, I didn't, I didn't. Um, <laughs> then, uh, my wife and other son were, uh, were jewel thieves. Jewel. Okay. So you had the, the family. We, we were rocking the whole dynamic theme. there. That's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, the, the Batman though, is that how authentic is that? Is that like you could step into a movie or. Oh, uh, so it is based on the Arkham Knight video games. Uh-huh. So if anyone's ever played those and, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not movie quality. I mean, those are like next level, but the, yeah. um, but I mean, it's like, it's legit. I mean, it's not, it's not your party city thing. So it's, I mean, it weighs like 40 pounds. It's like wow. a Kevlar vest. Like, That's I mean, it's, awesome. uh, you don't want to wear it for too long. Cause it definitely does not breathe. You are not <laughs> doing anything extravagant in it except looking cool so um but i mean i've like i've like rocked it out at the movies when i was living in san francisco Mm -hmm. i've uh i've done halloweens in it um you know i've 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 made appearances here and there and and it's always it's always a lot of fun whenever you wear it because people are just like what is happening right Uh now like um this is awesome yeah (laughs) lots of selfies Awesome. So talk, we're, we're, you know, enough about movies and Batman, but cybersecurity, tell us how you, what you do and how you got into what you're doing in cybersecurity. Yeah. So, so right now I'm the, the CISO at CMS for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And this is actually my first federal role. So I've been here just over a year now. I joined last November. And prior to that, I was leading security programs at, um, couple of health uh, or a couple of tech startups. So mm-hmm. in healthcare, cybersecurity and digital marketing, uh, respectively, that was kind of my, my tour through the startup scene. And prior to that, I was, I was at two different consultancies, uh, Sigital, and then a much more boutique consultancy is where I like got my start. And it's been, it's been awesome. So like my, my sort of journey through security has been, has been amazing because, you know, starting off in consulting, you, you get this fun dynamic of just getting to work on everything you want. Like if you, if you say yes to it and you have the time and the patience to learn it, like they'll give you the work. And so, so I did that and I just kind of drank from the fire hose of security for, uh, for like my, the entire start of my career mm-hmm. and did some amazing things. 
everything from like like helping huge banks like build uh, uh, you know pen test programs and and sort of rebuild them from the ground up to working on like video game console hacking to um, you know working on like cell phones and base station hacking to to huge like static code analysis and threat modeling of of like systems that run international stock markets and it's just like like cool stuff so you you sort of like build all these these mental models that you can take with you as you as you go out into the rest of the world and and like that served me very well once i started uh uh once i switched over to a, a totally different role of of trying to build and manage security programs and teams in inside of startups and and so my like my role has always been a little bit more um, hands-on, and so this this current role is a little funky for me because the the org is, of course, much 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 bigger than anything that I've um, prior that I that I've worked in directly prior to you know except for consulting with some some of the the big fortune yeah. fortune whatevers um, at Sigital. But the so, so you know the way that I kind of balance my time is just it's 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 different but exciting nonetheless. And it's interesting. We'll have to unpack that when we get back from the break. We want to talk about the transformation from startup and small to government. Be right back. Yeah. Blockframe technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Robert Wood, the CISO of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, And... uh, we were talking before the break about how you've been there for about a year, but yep. your background before that was in pastor moving, which I, you know, I've heard from you several times that, that the government's a little slow. We need faster moving will be better. So tell us about that contrast and, and what, how you made that transition and, and, you know, how you see both sides have good, bad, ugly, different. Tell us about the contrast. Yeah. So honestly, like this role has been, it's, it's not without its challenges for sure, but it is, it's honestly been amazing. And, and I, I think like the way that I would sort of liken it, if I could use a metaphor is, you know, working at CMS, you know, like we're, I think the largest health payer in the world. Um, and so it's, it's, as opposed to working at a healthcare startup, that's doing similar kinds of things. It's like driving one of those little, uh, uh, you know, one of those little speedboats that uh, you know the Navy SEALs use for their missions versus mm-hmm. steering like the aircraft carrier. And mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot more momentum in what we're doing here. But the but I will say the uh, when when you sort of cut through some of the red tape and you're intentional around team design and pulling the right people together and you just work with a little hustle and find the right find the right players and get them together, like. Things can move fast. Like, like we've we've had a couple of um, a couple of projects lately that, I mean, we we 
went from idea to something running in production, like an MVP, minimum viable product running in production in a matter of like a couple of months, which is on par with what you'd expect in a, in a startup-like environment. I think the biggest difference, at least this is, uh, this is my working hypothesis after only a year, is there's so, many, there's so much more dependency inside the government. You're, so you're reaching across all these other, maybe even to other agencies, you're reaching to other centers in CMS's case or other offices. And so like the farther you have to reach, the harder it is. Um, to to get something done, and and that goes for whether you're going through procurement to you know bring in a new team or a new technology or something like that, mm-hmm. to hiring, to, um, to to policy making stuff like that. So so that I think is like the biggest challenge. And if you can uh, like bring people together so they're closer, so you're not reaching as far, things inevitably end up moving a lot faster. And so like that's that's, I think, one of the like the uh, like the little hacks, if you will, the bureaucracy hacks that I've I've like really started to lean into is like anything that we can do to like shorten the distance. You know, it's like pouring lighter fluid on a on an effort. And um, the you know, I, I mentioned this before, but like the 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 time spent in government thus far has been like has been awesome. Like, been having a lot of fun. Like the the problems that we face and that we're wrestling through are just like the scale and the, and the complexity of them are unlike anything I've gotten exposure to at the, at the startup in the startup scene. And so, um, you know, you, you have these like big, bold ideas and startups that you're, you're trying to sort of experiment your way through and, and sort of blending that, that mi- like taking that mindset into the, the federal setting, um, has just been, has just been a lot of fun because, you know, we have these big problems, let's pull some ideas together and like, let's try to like rapidly test and experiment and learn our way through them and see what works. And then, and then, you know, turn the scale, turn the scale fuel up. If, uh, you know, if it happens to, to start taking hold. Yeah. So I'm not as familiar with, you know, the mission there, um, at, uh, HHS. Can you, you know, explain what it is that you're accomplishing and doing for the government for people that just might not be familiar with that department? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, HHS is, is, Probably the primary. Uh, um, so EMS is a is what's referred to as an operating division under HHS. Uh, so similar to uh, so uh, like DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, CISA is a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Army is a part of DOD. So so HHS is is probably like the the most notable sort of healthcare umbrella focused agency, uh, cabinet level agency across the across the federal government. So. Other operating divisions include FDA, CDC, NIH, um, all you know, fairly household names, especially in times of COVID. You know, we've heard about guidance coming out of FDA and CDC constantly. And so CMS is, it's like the gorilla that nobody really knows about in, in a lot of ways. So two or a couple of major programs that fall under us. So Medicare, Medicaid, and something called CHIP, the Childhood uh, Insurance Program. Um, and it's it, it, effectively what we do is handle payments and, uh, accessibility, uh, or eligibility rather, um, for insurance for some of the most vulnerable peoples across America. So your elderly, um, uh, those who are, um, you know, going through a hard time, uh, in, in any kind of like impoverished situation and children. 
And, you know, we also do some amount of like hospital claims, uh, sort of interfacing, but that's, that's a smaller part of our overall mission. The big bread and butter stuff is managing the Medicare Medicaid programs. So a lot of logistics of payment structures is what I'm hearing is under your, yep. your kind of wing. Okay. Interesting. Have you looked at, I mean, if you look at what, where that's going in the future, I'm just curious. Um, I work a lot in blockchain, AI, healthcare. I think that's actually how we got connected. Do you see that, uh, that, that technology is, is something that, that might be leveraged in, in where you're at? Um, I don't know, to be honest, it's, uh, I, I think the it, it's possible that it might be leveraged at the kind of like at the at the edges of what we do and or maybe as an interface to what we do. I'm not I'm not so sure about you know how the like the core um you know properties of like how we handle and move money around, like how how that might change and evolve over time. It's you know, it's it's a little bit of just an open question. Um I mean it's it's certainly possible. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of like active experimentation around machine learning and, and, uh, you know, what data scientists can do to, uh, do for us when we have better co-located normalized data. And I mean, that's all exciting. And, but I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of trying to predict the future because like, especially in this, in this field, things change so fast that, mm -hmm. I mean, who, like five years ago in the government, nobody was talking about Kubernetes. And now it's like, you know, now it's a, now it's a thing and it's, it's taking hold and it's, it's a part of like normal conversation. And so, uh, um, you know, a strong, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we, I had, uh, I work a lot with the, the state of Colorado and Medicaid in Colorado was one of the programs they evaluated saying, Hey, we'd use distributed ledger for tracking the payments um, there's a forensics capability that there seems to be a large, won't say fraud, but missing pieces or unmanaged sure. payments uh, and a lot of money involved. Uh, I think there was like a hundred million dollars in an audit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That could be collected if they could get that more manageable as far as how the payments were tracked. Yeah. And, and, and I will say like, there's like, as far as that, that machine learning and, and like different approaches to solve. Uh, like fraud, fraud management is a, is a really good use case in this case, uh, or in this, uh, discussion because it, you're, you know, the, the data is already there. Mm -hmm. Um, you have, you have all this like historical data that you can analyze and, and sort of tease out what is, you know, what's maybe fraud, what's not, it's like ripe proven ground for maybe training models. And you can use that to infer, um, you know, susceptibility for fraud potential for fraud on future future payments um and you can combine that with you know source of the source and destination of the payment you know the the individuals involved or any number of factors right and that's i mean that's a really interesting uh use case like and i and i know of like multiple active efforts underway right now geared towards like machine learning model development and and testing in like in that capacity at CMS at the moment. So like that's, it's just, you know, it's exciting times. Yeah, interesting. Well, let's take a break right here from our sponsors, be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. 
Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Robert Wood, the CISO for the Center for Medicaid or Medicare and Medicaid Services under the Health and Human Services. Um, so, you know, before the break, we, we are into, you know, what the future looks like, what new tech looks like, what your thoughts are. But let's talk about your, your day to day. What is it that you, you work with? Maybe your top couple challenges and things that you run into on a day to day basis. Yeah. I, I mean, I spend a lot of my day focused on, focused on people, uh, focused on trying to help people, you know, act as a sounding board for folks as they, you know, think through things. Um, you know, sometimes folks come to me for, um, uh, for decisions or they want my input on a decision. Uh, sometimes it's just about like trying to help, help them like clear out roadblocks. So I, I am a big advocate for people not struggling in silence. And so, you know, basic practices like, you know, running standups and, you know, quick escalation to, to get help if you need it, like the and on cord um in in uh toyota factories like that taking that kind of approach to what we do so if somebody if if you start to you know come up against a roadblock and you you have any sort of uh, uh confidence that it's going to be a pain to manage like pull the end on cord like let's get it resolved right now and like let's just keep you moving um because that's like that's where people are you know adding value is when they're actually like moving the moving the ball forward so, so I spent a lot of my time sort of in that capacity. A lot of it is also spent working at this like strategic plan level. And so it's like our, our strategy doesn't, you know, it, it, it is dynamic, but it's not, you know, changing on a daily basis. But a lot of it is like trying to find and seek ways to, to better measure it, to better communicate it, to uh, or actively communicating it to other people. It's, uh, you know, in like in this role, you're kind of like a, like a chief repeating officer and, you know, you have to say something, you know, about 4,000 times as, as something, you know, and, and eventually it'll start to sink in like the, the, like your vision, your, your plan, your connection points. So I, you know, all this stuff is of course, perfectly clear in my head um, mm -hmm. and how these things fit together and, or at least mostly clear. And, you know, I, I look at it as my job to help other people understand how those dots connect, why they should connect and why we should be spending any amount of time doing them. Um, and then the last thing, of course, like in, in any cybersecurity role, like fires happen, fires come up, issues come up and you have to, you got to deal with them when they come up. It's, you know, it's the inevitability. There's, you know, some, some kind of like suspicious incident. There's an HR thing. There's, there's you know, procurement snag, like whatever it is, you know, you, you know, that, those things will pop up and you have to, you have to nip them in the butt. Yeah. So, you know, when we talked about your startup background and you just talked about that mentality you have, you're bringing in of, you know, come when there's a problem, don't sit on it. Um, how, you know, you've been there a year. 
have you seen metrics improving from having more of a rapid response type of thought process there? Yeah, I I think we have. So so we do a few things to try to measure that. So one of those is like uh, regular pulse surveys, um, and and that's trying to get at least a sample set representation that gives us some kind of quantitative data around how things are going, how people are feeling. So there's there's questions in there around like that that would give us an NPS score for the security team. There's questions in there around um, utility or usefulness of particular efforts like pen testing or, or system ATOs or, or whatever it is, consultations uh, that people might get. There's uh, um, sort of yes, no um, uh, feelings around like how easy it is to get what you need, how easy it is to find certain things. So, so it's, a, it's a relatively short contained survey, um, but doing that and sort of like measuring the trends over time mm-hmm. has, I think, been useful. Um, I've also, I also do a lot of um, sort of like individual or small team kind of touch bases, either with people outside our group, people inside our group. And, and one thing that I've heard sort of like a through line in a lot of these cases is security has always been very difficult to engage with. Mm-hmm. Not difficult in the sense that like people are, are combative or anything. I mean, sometimes security people are combative. It's, you know, part of our, part of our charm is the, uh, is the abrasiveness, but the, um, we can talk about that in a second, but the, um, but that, that it's, it's actually like hard to get in touch with the security team. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I try to be very, very intentional around, like I'm in all the Slack channels that, uh, that other people are in. People know that they can message me anytime and I will like personally respond. You know, I don't have somebody like ghostwriting my Slack responses. I'll send people like individual uh, like Loom videos to try to like you know give them you know exactly what we're getting right now. Like you know the 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 FaceTime, if you will. I do you know I, a lot of one on ones with people. I take people out to lunch, out to coffee, um, you know things like that. And and you know the thing that I've heard is like just that 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 greater emphasis on accessibility and transparency is mm-hmm. like a total night and day shift from the way that things were because. You know, people are just like, they're trying to get their jobs done, right? Whether they're in security or not, they're just trying to, like, everyone's trying to do their job, do what they're hired for. And if you're in the government, you know, you're trying to positively contribute to the mission. And, and if you don't know, like security is potentially a major blocker or major enabler. And if there's all this like ambiguity that you don't understand and you, and you can't find, you can't find the means to remove the ambiguity, then like that's frustrating. And it just creates this kind of churn and anxiety and all that. So, so just the fact that we're like really leaning in on the, the culture change and making ourselves more accessible. Um, you know, I wrote a chat bot recently because people are like, Hey, uh, it's hard to like find the answers to certain questions and yada, yada, yada. And we're like talking to people about, uh, creating this, this, multi hundred thousand dollar chatbot, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I took a couple of weekends and I like, I made one and mm-hmm. it's like, it's running in places, answering questions. And it's like, okay, like, we're just going to, everyone, you know, rolls up their sleeves and does their thing. We're just going to like collectively move this ball forward. Like I'm not above or below any work and nobody else is either. So I think like that's, that's been really helpful. And, and I think the, you know, the data in thing, like the, the qualitative data we get from 
just discussions, personal mm-hmm. discussions and like quantitative data we get from metrics and, and just like seeing turnaround time and, and progress made on OKRs and the NPS scores, like that stuff is trending in the right direction. Yeah. You had said culture was kind of your biggest pain point. Is this what you're talking about? That this way it was before was a problem and the shift is helping or is there other areas in culture that you feel is that pain point? Yeah. Well, and I, I should, I should clarify that it's not that like anything like nobody was like doing anything wrong or anything like that in in uh like in the before rob times Mm -hmm. but the it's more that there's there's this i mean especially in the in the federal government really in any regulated industry there's a there's a sense of like conservative thinking that um you know we have to make sure we do things in a in a compliant way and we do um that's important but I think there's there's a tendency to like doing things the compliant way means slowing down and like really looking at them and mm-hmm. getting eyes on everything and and there hasn't been this this acceptance yet of iteration speed and continuous delivery and how that can actually like make things safer and and so there's a lot of well and and I should say it's it's natural for you know, you just kind of, you, you end up doing things for a certain amount of time. And there's this, this escalation of commitment that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to continue to do the right thing. There's group think that happens as people start to, you know, they work together over a point in t- you know, a certain point in time where it's harder for fresh ideas to just like magically emerge. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of like psychological safety that I think is like, I don't think we have a great sense of psychological safety right now as a like as a uh, security community inside cms Mm -hmm. and that's something i'm like very keenly interested in helping improve so like anyone can feel like they can speak up and say you're wrong and here's Mm -hmm. why i think you're wrong and i like that's starting to happen more and more like i you know i i try to celebrate people when they call me out on anything and like in big public channels like i'd because like, I don't want to be wrong. Um, like I want to, <laughs> I want to be right all the time, and I know I'm not. And and um, and so those are the kind of like things, like trying to break That's down it. those little. And it's because it's not a binary thing. It's it's sort of like all this stuff exists on a big spectrum. Yeah. And so trying to find ways to influence and, and improve those pockets of 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 things in teams in individual people gotcha. like that's you know so, it's, and it's you organic had that- growth. You said you had, you know, the, the government follows a lot of compliance, but yet yep. compliance might not mean if you spend all the time in compliance that it 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 works anyway. So you said you had some some issues with FedRAMP. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, well, I've noticed this tendency to, you know, so FedRAMP is typically applied to software as a service or cl- like cloud services, right? So I think, um, you know, Dropbox, Box. Google Workspace, Office 365, that kind of stuff. And I've noticed this tendency, um, you know, you know it's, it's just a subjective thing that I've picked up on in conversation with people that, okay, team A wants to use this SaaS tool. Is it FedRAMP? Is it not? Okay, it's FedRAMP. We're good to go. Like, it's safe. All right, like, tell them it's okay. And then, mm-hmm. and then the conversation just kind of stops. Mm-hmm. And... And that I think is a like it 
it's do, like FedRAMP is doing exactly what it meant to do, uh, what it's supposed to do. But the the sort of mental implications that it uh, that it that it sort of has. I mean, I think FedRAMP, like, and and the GSA office, I should say, like, they're they're making some big strides on like improving the like the the throughput of mm-hmm. uh, organizations that can get FedRAMP accredited. Um, like we're working with this small team from them, um, on this 10 X, um, 10 X project that's super exciting. It's all like Oscar verified, uh, um, uh, security documentation and stuff like that. Very, very cool stuff that'll like really help kind of grease the skids. But, but, you know, circling back the, you know, the, the, the implication or like the mental implication of thinking like I'm using this thing that was, that has gone through FedRAMP accreditation and therefore it's all going to be okay. I think is a real shortcoming because if you're to break the risk out into two separate categories, the first being is the thing built securely and compliantly. And the second be second part being, am I using it and integrating it in a safe and secure way? Mm-hmm. And FedRAM only focuses on this side, not on this side. Yeah. And if you just c- kind of come down this hypothetical uh, scenario and just split that risk 50, 50 FedRAM, even if it does everything perfect, and it catches all the issues, which nothing does, but catches all the issues um, that you could possibly catch in a secure compliant product or company, you're only catching 50% of that risk. And, and so you have to focus on that other 50% to sort of uh, create the, like this, this more holistic sense of risk management. So you know, how are people logging into it? How are, how are you going to remove people from it when it's no longer needed? What data is going to go into it? How do you integrate it into other things? So like, you know, you don't want the, you know, you may not want like a, uh, an application that isn't like, isn't, isn't rated like FedRAMP high or, or rated for your most sensitive data connecting to something that has all your most sensitive data, for example. Yeah. Um, but, but if you just focus on that first 50%, you're never going to end up having that conversation. And, and that I think is a, that's a shortcoming of this this thinking that goes into the reliance like, on its compliance. It's compliant, so I don't have to th- exactly. I don't have to think about it. So it's almost exactly. that that ties in with that cultural thing. That uh, you know, understanding that compliance gets you part way. Now there's the the application of it, right? And yeah. and and I think like and that's a that's a hard leap to make for for many people, and and partially because like there's been so much emphasis put on, um, you know, resource allocation in support of doing those compliance activities. And so, you know, naturally that's where people's focus has been, you know, your, Mm -hmm. your, your focus goes where your time and your money goes. Right. And, uh, or your focus is where your time and your money goes. And, and so, you know, if that's where all your, your resources are going primarily, then like, you know, naturally that's, that's the kind of thing that you're going to end up sort of leaning on and, 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 and talking about and all of that. And so, you know, making sure that, that like, as we look at our budget, that it's distributed in the way, like in the things that are actually meaningful to us mm-hmm. and to me and, and uh, my deputy and like our leadership team, like that, you're just doing that is also positively changing and influencing the conversation in a, in a really meaningful way, I think. Yeah, interesting. So we're kind of running to the end of our time, but uh, in closing, anything you'd like to get out to our listeners about, you know, either your needs or what you're doing or things they 
you know, say, hey, this is something I think everybody should know. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the, the thing I think any security person should really take to heart, whether they're on my team or another federal agency or just out in the industry, is you as the security person need to meet people where they're at. Like you need to approach your job with empathy for what other people are going through, what other teams are going through. So, you know, there's so much talk that we kind of, uh, uh, we, we put out so much around, uh, I'm going to use phishing and social engineering as an example, like screen all your emails, you know, check for this, check for that, you know, who's the sender, what's the link look like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, let's say on average, like all those things, even if you're good at it, might take 60 seconds per email. And if you're getting 100, 200 plus emails a day, like that's a, an enormous amount of time that you're asking people to, to you know, add to their workload mm-hmm. and they're not getting paid for any of that extra time. It's actually like, it's, it might be adding negative value in some ways mm-hmm. for them, maybe not for you as a security person. And so, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten into a lot of deep conversations around this thing in particular. It's like, what can we do as a security team to like, think about that, that user experience and the flow that a malicious email might make it uh, make take to get into a user's inbox and how can we decrease the cognitive load for that end user how can we get rid of stuff before it ever reaches there how can we make it so you can't send your credentials uh, you know to single sign-on or, or active directory or what have you to a site like an unapproved site how can we make it so it's much less likely that any malicious attachments are going to make it through and, and compromise your system? Like all that stuff, if we if we don't have to put this kind of like training burden on everyone mm-hmm. and and you know remove some of the easy stuff wherever we possibly can and and focus instead on the things that actually matter, then I think that builds trust with the other individual that they know we're not just like you know asking the world of them. Um, and that we actually care about their own struggles mm-hmm. and their own sort about of uh, their work things, experiences. Their, what's important to their, their workload. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, yep. and I think like you could apply that to uh, software development. You could apply it to uh, IT operations. You could apply it to like legal and contract. Like you can apply it to just about every aspect of what we do as a, mm-hmm. as an industry. And I think like, I, I think every security professional needs to like take that to heart that, you know, we need more empathy in our jobs and in what we do. And, and that applies to like all the conversations you have, you yeah. know, the projects you, you take on, the things that you design, the policies you have, like all of that stuff, like uh-huh. try to lean into that. All right. Well, thanks. That's a good note to end on. Uh, and you heard it here today on New Cyber Frontier. Thanks for joining. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.